we will be considering providence. We'll be considering providence and be looking at examples that the Lord would have in his word to teach us about this great truth. For truly, there are magnificent things that the Lord has revealed to us in his word, and providence is one of those. Um, We're going to be looking this morning at providence, God's hidden hand in the life of Jesus, Job, and Joseph. But this is by way of introduction of a series that I've been asked to teach on Wednesday night on Providence, God's hidden hand at work in Esther's life. So today is sort of a preparation for that. But I want to tell you that this whole idea about God's providence, and we will discuss what that means uh, this morning. The notion of God's providence is to me personally one of the most significant truths in my Christian life. It is what has helped me persevere through some 45 years of ministry and uh, through a long life that has had its times of adversity. And so I'm hoping this morning that I can convey to you what I believe to be one of the great treasures of, of God's word to learn about the hidden hand of God's work at life uh, in our lives. I'm passionate about this because it makes the difference of how we live, how we see God, and to understand what he is doing. God's hidden hand at work in the life of Job and Joseph and Jesus. The most important thing about us, about you, is what you believe to be true about God. Why? Because what you believe to be true about God will be tested in adversity, in circumstances beyond our knowledge and understanding. And that is why it's essential that we have an adequate and appropriate view of God if we're to live as God desires for us, but especially when we're going through times of adversity. When adversity comes our way, we must be convinced. We must be assured that God is by nature infinitely good and uh, Eternally sovereign. Our God is a purpose-driven God. You've heard that in another context. But I'm talking about our God. What drives him? What is motivating him to do what he does and what he has ordained? Well, I can tell you this, that our God is driven by his grace. He's driven by his goodness to guide and to direct the events of history, to fulfill his incredibly wonderful preordained purposes, even the details of our personal life. By his hidden hand, he does guide and direct our lives. 
It's a hidden hand. And that's where our faith is tested. Is God actually working in and through our lives in the midst of difficulties? During the midst of all the problems and the perplexities of life, I don't see God's hand, so maybe he isn't working? No. What we learn from God's word is that his hand is active. And he is working his good purposes. Without trust, I mean unshakable trust in the work of God's hidden hand, we are likely to see the world in chaos. We're likely to see the sin of the world and the sin of the nation as, as overruling everything. We may even find no meaning to the things that come into our life and are going on around us. Without the knowledge that God is sovereign and that his hidden hand is working through all things, we are likely to focus on things that are not true, but also are not going to give us the power and the confidence to go through difficult times. Our God is a God who has worked in history and the lives of many people. And there couldn't be a man more qualified to write about faith under fire than a man by the name of Paul the Apostle. He wrote a life-changing letter to Christians living in Rome during the first century. And they were facing hardship and persecution. Many of them were even martyrs for their faith. And he too was going through hardship. He was going through adversities. He was going through persecution because of his faith, because he was faithfully uh, obeying God's call for his life. Much of his ministry was spent shackled in prisons and being persecuted everywhere he went. He was beaten more times than he could count. He had the marks of martyrdom all over his body. It's been said that if you were to take the robe of Paul and look at his back, take it off and look at his back, it was scarred. Here's a man who was driven. Driven to fulfill his call. He lived in constant danger, we're told. He had times of starvation and times of thirst. And he suffered in all kinds of inclement weather. And he spent sleepless nights in agony and anguish for the churches that he loved. But he persevered. How? Why? He persevered through all of these things because he believed that he was called. Why did he have such a love for God? It's because he believed he was called. Chosen of God to do these things. But what did he know? What do we know the Apostle Paul knew about his calling or his purpose? Well, he knew that he was called and gifted by God to be an apostle to the Gentiles. We know about that because Christ encountered him. And he knew that 
this would take him to unknown places uh, far away to establish new churches. But what did he not understand about his life purpose? Well, he didn't anticipate that he would become the object of such scorn and rejection by his own people. And he didn't know that to fulfill his calling, the purpose that God had for him, would encounter so much adversity that would ultimately lead to his beheading. And what did he learn from all of this that he later writes to the church? He learned that when he was weak, in the midst of these difficulties, that he was actually at his strongest. How could that be? He said that when I am weak, I am strong. Because the mercy or the grace of God is more than sufficient. More than sufficient to face any and everything that comes into my life. And he learned later that from his experience in prison, that God had used this as a time alone to write letters to churches. What do we know about those letters? (laughs) They're here. He didn't know that being in prison would become the opportunity to write these incredible books. But God did. He realized that his imprisonment had been used by God as an opportunity to preach the gospel to people who came to visit him. We're also told that Paul knew that many of the guards who had come to watch over him, maybe were even shackled to him as well, they came to know Christ. And that the early church was filled with some of these men and people who had been imprisoned with him. Did God have a purpose for his adversity? That's what we're talking about. And when he wrote the book of Romans, as we are studying here at the church uh, by Pastor Kevin, we realized, and he realized, that God was working, what? All things together for good. Now stop just what would he just say? He's saying that God was working all of the adversity, all the pain, all the persecution, all the difficulties, the adversities of his life together for good. That's what we want to talk about this morning. So let's read together Romans 8:28 from the English Standard Version. Please, let's read together. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And that's what we want to look at this morning. So please indulge me. Use your Bibles. There is uh, some paper or a space on the worship folder for you to take some notes. 
engage me for a few moments as we look through scripture at some of the most profound doctrinal or theological truths that are in the scriptures about the goodness of God, his hidden hand at work in our lives. After we have looked at uh, some of these uh, incredible scriptures and talked about them, then we're going to look at examples of how God's hidden hand was at work in the life of Job and Joseph and Jesus and how, believe it or not, how he's at work in our lives today. What do we need to know? Remember he had just said, and we know. But I want to ask this question of all of us this morning. Do we really know that God is at work? I mean, seriously, do you believe, do I believe that in the midst of the most uncertain events, the most difficult things in my life, that God is at work in them to produce good? Do we know that? Well, he says, we know. We know. Well, what do we need to know? We need to know that God continually is working good. All things together for good in heaven and earth according to his holy purposes. God is infinitely good. Therefore, whatever he does is good. Do you understand what I just said here? Because God is infinitely good, when he created the heavens and the earth, it said what? It was good. Everything he made was good because he is infinitely good. Whatever comes from our God, whatever comes from his hand, is what? Good. He's the author of good. And thank you. A little support from the audience here. That's always good. And the scriptures teach that God is good. The psalmist says, you are good and you do good. Teach me your ways, your statutes. Well, if you believe that's true, can you join with David with what he said next? It is good for me That I was afflicted? That I might learn your statutes? You can only say that if you believe what he just said. You are good and you do good. Because if you believe that's true, you can say, it is good that I was afflicted. Though I didn't like it. Though it hurt. Though I was uncertain about what was happening. I realized that it has been good for me. Because God is good. God has wonderful plans in mind for us that are good. Listen to Jeremiah the prophet. For I know, again, it sounds like Paul, doesn't he? I know. How do you know, Jeremiah? How do you know, David? How do you know, Paul? Well, I know that God is good. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare And not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. That is the God that we're talking about. Behind everything that we face. The most painful. The most 
perplexing things that life can have come at us. God can use for good. And he has good purposes in mind for them. Because our God is good. We say that God is infinitely good. We're saying that he is the first cause. But not the cause of everything. In our trials and tribulations, we're tempted to uh, think God has changed. He was good, now he's not good. But the Bible tells us that God will never act contrary to his holy nature. He's immutable, unable to change. For example, the Bible says that when God speaks to us from his word, he cannot lie. Our God cannot sin. And he uses the free will choices of both good and evil men and angels to accomplish whatever he determined to accomplish in our lives. John Frame has a number of books out today, and one of the things that he has said uh, hit on our topic. He said, God uses evil for a greater good. God uses evil for his good purposes. But some of the ways include displaying his grace and justice and judging evil, saving sinners and shocking sinners so that they will repent. God can use even the evilest in the world to bring about our repentance and our reliance upon him. Let me say this, God is never ever a victim of man. Do you believe that's true? God's will will never be hindered or thwarted by the choices of men or angels. That's, that's all to say this to, to us here at Reverence. God is at work. He's working his plans. And he's good. Even if you're here today and say, it doesn't feel like that. I don't know what's happening to my life. I don't know why this was brought into my life. I can't explain what happened here. I don't know where to go. I don't know how this could be good. I'm here this morning to remind you that God has plans and that God is working these plans for his glory and our good. Do you believe that's true? No, it's easy for us to shake our heads and to say yes. But let me tell you, like I said before, what you believe to be true about God will be tested in adversity. So how many of you believe God is infinitely good? <laughs> okay, when the next trial comes your way, what are you going to say? God is, <laughs> God is sovereign and God is good. I'm being tested to whether that is a truth that will change my life or not. You see, like I say, what you believe to be true by God will be tested in adversity. So the next test that comes our way, you need to say, God, you are infinitely good. And whatever you choose to do in my life is good. Though I don't know what it means. I don't know how this is going to work together. But you are good. How can we know God's plans and purposes actually work for good? Well, 
through the teachings and examples found in God's word, we learned that that is true. And through the affirmation of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we know that's true. A little explanation here. The scriptures teach that God has eternal purposes. And that he's working them for his glory and our good. But it is the ministry of the Holy, indwelling Holy Spirit that affirms that in us. That speaks to us. That comforts us. That enlightens us. That gives us even a capacity to persevere when you want to give up. The Holy Spirit speaks to us in silence and yet very loudly. Trust me. God is good. Trust me. You don't see the good, but good is coming. You may not even learn of this good until you're home with Christ. We know by the word of God, we know by the Holy Spirit, but we also know through the proven experience of our lives and of others that this is true. And we will look at the life of Job and Joseph and Jesus to just reinforce that truth. As I said, when God works, Many times we don't know he's at work. You can't see his hand at work in our lives. And that's exactly what happened to Israel as it was, remember, going through, uh, being faced with the uh, Red Sea in front of it and Pharaoh charging up behind them. And then Moses took out that rod and he hit uh, the sea and it opened up for them. Well, the psalmist writes in Psalm 77, 19 this way. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet, what? Your footprints were unseen. See, in other words, God was leading, working good, though they could not see his footsteps, were walking with them through this incredible uh, scene of the walls of water on both sides. And yet God was with them. If you would, his footsteps were invisible, but so was his arm that was holding back these waters. Many times because God's ways are, and in providence are so mysterious to us, the unseen hand of God, that we, are, we question the goodness of God. But Isaiah learns from the Lord, Isaiah 55, 8, 9. This is the Lord speaking to us. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What is the Lord saying to us? That even though he has promised to work good, and you're not sure how this works for good, his ways are higher than our full comprehension. And we'll look at that at the examples in a few moments. A lot of life is filled with uncertainty. A lot of uncertainty. But there are certain things that you can be certain about. And that is what? God is infinitely 
And that whatever he does is. And we will be tested in adversity as to whether or not you believe that's true. How does God work together his good purposes for our good? Paul writes to the Ephesian church. And it's Ephesians 1, this incredible chapter on the sovereignty of God, the love of God. And he says to this, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him. We'll discuss that in just a second. Who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So what Paul is telling us is that He's causing, working all things good and evil to work and come together in symphonic harmony to accomplish his great purposes and our good. He turns temporal catastrophes into eternal trophies. He transforms our messes, and I have had a few, into masterpieces. He will never allow or design anything to enter our lives that he will not work for his glory and his good. I didn't hear any amens on this one. But is that possible? I think it is. Whatever has entered your life this morning, whatever you brought into the circumstances here this morning, whatever your situation, God knows it, And has brought it into your life to teach us about his goodness, his grace, and his sovereignty. Whatever you brought with you today, whatever situation, he's working good. Well, how can these painful things work for our good? First, they teach us lessons of faith. Things we could never learn in prosperity. And good health. Secondly, they have a way of getting our attention like nothing else. There's nothing like adversity to get the attention of an erring brother. There's nothing to gain our attention greater than when we go through times of adversity. These things make evident our need to be radically dependent upon his grace. When you know you are weak, when you know you don't have an explanation, when you know you don't have a human solution, that is when we should be aware that we are radically dependent upon the grace of God, which is where we need to learn to live daily. For these things take our fixation off of the things of the world that we spend so much time and energy and resources upon and they put them back on Christ where they should be. What about these adversities? They become opportunities to glorify God. Think of that for a moment. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, It can be and should be an opportunity for the glory of God. That's what we're created for. And if you believe that God has brought this adversity, allowed this adversity to come into your life, 
This is our opportunity to glorify God by praising him or counting it all joy when you encounter these trials, knowing that God works these things together for good. The things that enter our life have a purpose. Who should know God is working all things together for our good? He says that we are to know that God is working all things together for God. For who? He says first, those who love God. So let's put this back. If you love God, God is working in you and working around you and through you for his good purposes. And his purposes are good. I mean, we've already hopefully established that. But listen to 1 Corinthians. Paul again. No eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who what? That's right. Do you love him this morning? If you do, God is working in and through you, and we should know that. But he says, not only those who love him, but those who are called according to his purpose. Did you know that your salvation is a work of God? It's a purpose that he's brought about and fulfilled in us. Paul talks about that in 2 Timothy 1.9. He said he saved us and he called us to a, what, a holy calling? Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. When? Before the ages began. You see, our salvation, your daily life is foreseen by God. And he's working all things together for his glory and our good. He has a purpose for our life. A purpose for what we're going through. We need to understand that our God has a purpose. Paul mentions the purpose according to his purpose. And the word that he uses is kind of a fascinating one. I think uh, the doctors in here would know what this word means. In Greek it's Prothesis, prothesis, uh, that a purpose is prothesis. It means stepping forward, uh, standing forth, and is often applied to ordaining or foreordaining, like stepping into the future, uh, knowing into the future. And we use the same word uh, uh, to describe a prosthetic limb. That was made for someone so they're able to step forward. So what is Paul saying? God has stepped forward. And he's reached down with his hidden hand into our lives. To bring about his eternal purpose. An unknown author wrote these words. But the reason I give them to you is because I guess I have found them helpful. So if they're helpful, I'm hoping they're helpful for you. Try to gain perspective from my adversities, from the perplexities of life. This is how this unknown author writes about what was happening in his life. He says, my life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. 
I cannot choose the colors that he works steadily, like the colors of thread. Oftentimes he weaves sorrow. And in foolish pride, I forget he sees the upper or the view from above. And all I see is the underside of the tapestry he's weaving to me to be. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned for me. You get what he's saying? That from our perspective, when God weaves the black and the sorrow and the pain and the uncertainties of life, we're looking from the underside of this tapestry of our life. What he's saying is that it's only from God's perspective that we can see how this is a picture that he's portraying, that is working to these good purposes for his glory and our good. And so some of you are here this morning and God is weaving something beautiful. And yet, from what you see, you, all you're seeing is the dark black threads. You can't see the gold and silver that he's working from above. But nevertheless, that's true. How can... Painful things work for our good. Well, that is what we would call providence. Providence literally means to see beforehand. It's like prothesis. Stepping forward, the whole idea of providence is that it is to see beforehand. Is that what the word actually means? Providence is God seeing everything from the beginning to the end of time by which he directs all things to fulfill his eternal purposes. His providence is God directing all things everywhere and always together for his glory and his good. That's what he does. How would we sort of get... Maybe you're saying, well, can you just give me a little quick uh, bottom line version of what is providence... Is simply this. God upholds and sustains all things. He governs all events seen and unseen. He directs everything to its appointed end. And he does this all the time and in every circumstance. That's the perspective we must have. Some of you may have heard from G. Vernon McGee on radio as you were traveling, maybe listening to some of that, with that raspy voice you may have recalled. He had something to say about providence that I think fits right nicely with what we're saying. Providence is the, and he didn't include hidden, but I will add that. Providence is the hidden hand of God in the glove of history. God's hand is at work in our life and in history. R.C. Sproul more from a theological perspective, says this about providence. Providence is God's government of the universe. He rules his creation with absolute certainty and authority. He governs everything that comes to pass from the greatest to the least 
Nothing ever happens beyond the scope of his sovereign providential government. Can you trust this God? Can you trust this kind of a God to take you through the most difficult times of life? That's what it means when we talk about providence. We'll talk more about that beginning in the series Wednesday when we talk about providence, God's hidden hand at work in the life of a woman by the name of Esther. What an incredible story. But for our purposes right now, let's look at three examples. Three examples that demonstrate the hidden hand of God at work in their life, but also demonstrate what it's like to live in the midst of adversity, without explanation, without understanding what God is doing. First person we want to look at is Job. I think many of you or most of you may know about the story of Job. What do we know about him? Well, he trusted in God's goodness, not knowing why he was in adversity. Wow. These are incredible things that he is showing us. And teaching us. Job is a man. Who. Was known for his goodness. For his righteousness. And he had no idea. That what he was going through. Had a purpose. What did Job know. About God's purposes. For his life. As we read the book. I would suggest there were a few. He believed God was good because God had brought prosperity into his life. God was good and therefore he worked good in Job's life. He recognized that. He knew God had called him to offer sacrifice for his children. That God in his grace would recognize a blood sacrifice. An anticipation of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he knew that he was righteous. That he was living as righteously as he could before God and the world. He's a man at this stage who had no sense of regret. Well, what did he not understand about God's purpose for his life? And this is where the test came in. He didn't understand why one day he lost all of his possessions to robbers and thieves. He lost it all. I mean, this is one of the most wealthy men in the world. And in one day, literally lost everything he had. But he also didn't understand why that same day, a whirlwind came and it crushed the house that his children were in. And all of his children died that day. He didn't know why. There are things that I don't understand. Why in four years I lost five or six of the most precious people in my life. Why? He didn't know what was going on in heaven. 
He didn't know that God had allowed the devil to strike his life. He didn't know God had allowed the devil to strike his body, to give him one of the most uh, ugly and painful diseases. Why? Why is this going on? What did I do wrong? And his friends would say, oh, it's because you've, you've probably got some unseen sin. You, you know, see, good things happen to good people, and bad things happen to bad people. Job, the reason you're going through a bad time is because you must have done something wrong. See, God is good to those who are good, but you're having adversity because you must have done something. He didn't know why God had allowed this. And he didn't know why any of this could come from the hand of a good God and how this would be worked for any good at all. What is the good in that? But what lessons did he learn after these things? He learned this, that the righteous can suffer without knowing why. And he learned to accept God's providence when he said, when everything was taken from him, including his children, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. My friends, that doesn't come easily in the midst of loss and grief. The only way those words can come forth is if you believe that God's good. Infinitely good. So whatever he's doing is good. That's what he was tested. Whatever you believe to be true about God will be tested. And that's what was being tested in his life. He also learned in the midst of his struggle, not just even at the end, he learned this. He says to the Lord, the Lord slays me, Yet, I will hope in him. He knew God somehow was allowing this, working this, directing it, whatever, into his life. And he is at this place able to say, even though this is going on, though you are slaying me, I will put my hope in you. You are my final hope. Why? Because you're infinitely good, and whatever you do is good. So my hope is in you, not in my circumstances, not in myself. And if you come to the end of that incredible book, one of the things that so sort of uh, stills, it stops the story, it stops the crowd, it stops us all when we read that God appeared to Job in a whirlwind. And the Lord, in essence, says to him, you have been arguing, you've been questioning me, now let me question you. And I think Job goes, whoops, I'm sorry, I think I may have spoken out of line here. God said, no, listen to me. Where were you when? Did you do this? Did you see this? Were you there when I took the waters in my hands and poured them out on the earth to make the oceans? Were you there, Job? Job just is smart. He says nothing. (laughs) 
And the Lord just bangs away about his providence and his creative work and his goodness. And he goes like that until Job at the end of that says, you know what? I'm undone. I, I realize I have said things I, I didn't know. And I know who you are. You've reminded me that you're far bigger, far greater than anything I can imagine. Who am I to question you? He learned the greatness, the sovereignty, the goodness of God. And if you finish that book, you'll see that God restored to him some of the blessings that he had lost. That he lived a long, fruitful life. And there was good at the end of his life. There is one tremendous good from Job's Adversity. And you know what it is? Here. <laughs> His story, which may be one of the oldest books written in the Bible, is captured and preserved for us. When he was going through that, he didn't say, you know, someday I think I'm going to write a, a book, you know, about my life. But God had him write this book for us. Our life in many ways is like Job's. We're being tested, even as he was tested. Take a moment to talk about the life of Joseph. You know about him. Very similar to Job's, he faced adversity not going, knowing God's long-term good purposes. But what did he know about God's purposes for his life? What did he learn that was good? Well, he knew that he was favored by his father. And he learned through dreams that God gave him that somehow there was some place in his life to come where God would use him to have rule over his brothers, to provide exactly what they needed. But did he know when and how? No. And what did he not understand about God's plan for his life? He didn't understand how his dreams would be fulfilled. And he didn't know why his brothers would take him and they would drop him in a pit and set him into, sell him into Egyptian slavery. He didn't know why. He didn't know why Potiphar's wife would lie about him and have him thrown into prison. He didn't know why he was called to interpret a dream for Pharaoh. He didn't know why he was placed in a position in Pharaoh's court so that he would have great power to oversee the agriculture of Egypt. He could not have known why. He didn't know that his father and brothers were facing famine back home. Well, what lessons did he learn? We're told at the very end of the book, or of his story in Genesis, that he learned God had a good purpose for his adversity. That he didn't understand when he was in the pit, and when he was in prison, or even in the palace. He realized that his brothers had meant all of this for evil. But what? But God meant it for good. Notice there's a word that keeps cropping up this morning. Good. 
the goodness of God even in things that don't seem to be good. Finally, God's hidden hand at work in Jesus' life. What do we know about him? Well, we know that he joyfully obeyed his father's will, knowing his life was serving an eternal purpose. What did he know? He knew he had been sent by his father to seek and to save the lost. And he knew who he was. He knew what he had come to do and where he was going. The scriptures tell us that. And he knew he would be rejected by men, crucified on a cross, die at Passover, and raised from the the grave on the third day, according to the scriptures. Even the date he knew. And we are told, and he willingly and joyfully endured the atrocities of the cross. Why? To fulfill his eternal purpose, which included... Our salvation. There had to be a cross. That God would use for good. His glory and what? Our good. Now, just want to bring this home. You've heard me give the theology behind it. We've seen a couple examples. But sitting in this room with me are people who are living examples of God at work. I don't know your situation. Only the Lord knows, and you know. And there are things going on in your life that you have no explanation for. But you're here this morning, and I'm hopeful that you have heard and understood what I meant, that God is infinitely good, And whatever he is doing in our lives, he's doing for good purposes. That's faith. That's when you know you love Christ. That's when you're convinced that you were called according to his good purpose. And I don't know what your purposes are necessarily, but I do know that God is at work. He's at work in our lives. He's doing great things. Um, Want to close just from, so you get a little insight to me. Um, there have been a number of things in my life that have been, I would consider to be, didn't feel to be good. I didn't see the good. But I know that he has worked them together for good. I could see that now more than I could when I was in the middle of those things. You see, perspective often gives us understanding, like age. So there are some good things about getting old, if you can remember what they are. <laughs> I think they're supposed to give us perspective. But anyway, okay. There's been a, a scripture verse that, you know, I've really treasured over the years from Philippians 4. I think it's 19. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I've held on to that for many, many years. That's providence. That's what God does. 
knows our needs, supplies our needs according to his riches and glory and in Christ Jesus. Many you may or may not know that uh, after retiring, um, God took me in new directions. And uh, he gave me opportunities to go to other countries that I did not pursue but came to me. And one of those places is Haiti. I just, we just got back from there in the middle of September or December. Um, but when I was there the time before that, I met with the host pastor that I'm with, who also has had incredible adversity in his life. At the time of the earthquake, he, the whole place that the church had completely fell and collapsed, pancaked. And he couldn't find his son. And his son was killed. How could that be good? And what he did is when his son died, and even when he was looking for him, he went out helping other people to rescue their children. How did that work for good? Well, people found out about it and wanted to help him. His church was relatively small, poor, and had virtually lost everything. And I go back to his church now, and we have two services on Sunday morning that are packed with over 600, both services. He knows the people better. They know him better. They know the love and the grace of God because of what he's gone through. Adversity has worked good. When I was with him, he said, Pastor Don, what we're learning here, your role with us is, I think, valuable. And so uh, we have like 30 uh, church leaders and some pastors coming in for this. But I want to double that. Can you do that? I go, I think I can. I think I'd like to do that. He says, well, whatever the cost were for the one, it'll be double because we're doubling the size. He said, do you have the resources? I don't want to ask that of if you don't have the resources. So I said, you know what I better do? I don't want to get ahead of the Lord. So I'm going to go back home. I'm going to pray about it. And I, I, I want to look for God's direction. I'm learning it in my old age <laughs> to allow God to do his work without questioning him, presuming on him. So anyway, I, when, uh, when I got home, I got a phone call from a, a man that I've known before. He said, call me up and said, hey, Don, can we meet together for lunch? I want to find out more about your trip to Haiti. And I goes, you do? And he goes, yeah, I do. So... I had no chance to tell him anything about Haiti until I got to the restaurant. When we walked up to the restaurant together, before he said anything, he handed me something, or he put something in my pocket here. He said, oh, you can look at that later. I said, okay. We had our lunch, told him about the ministry in Haiti. I got in my car. I thought, oh, I thought I should look at this. I opened the check. It was a check. And inside was the exact money needed to double the ministry in Haiti for me. Now you could say, is that coincidence? (laughs) You could say that, I can't say that. (laughs) (laughs) What I am learning at this stage in my life, my friends, is that God is at work. That his hidden hand is working all things together for good. I'm seeing that now in ways I didn't see it before. I was too young, too blind, too blind to my own initiative, my ambitions and my strength. But 
Now I see him in new ways. I see him at work around the world today. In other countries, I go to China. I see God working in hidden ways behind the government. In faraway places. I'm going to Peru in a few months. And I've been there and I saw God at work raising up some indigenous people from the Amazon jungle who are wanting somebody to come in to teach them. I didn't know that there was this people. But God, through some circumstances, made that known to me. I went and visited them. And when they said, one thing we want of you, if you do come to us, Pastor, is we want you to teach us doctrine. I'm going, uh, did I hear that right? Yeah, we want to know why we believe. We want to know what we believe. Would you come and teach us doctrine? Well, that's like music in my ears. And I said, yes, I definitely will. And they started applauding. Because somebody would come and tell him about Christ. Now, the reason I tell you these things, I realize that his hand is moving me around in places I don't even know where I'm going. I don't know who I'm going to meet in these places. I don't know that I'm going to preach on Sunday until Sunday morning or Saturday night. And I end up preaching four times in one day and all sermons had to be different. No chance to prepare. That's the hidden hand of God, because it isn't my hand. I would not plan things that way. But you know what he did? He put me in this situation to realize how absolutely weak and dependent I would be upon him. And I had to prepare my sermon sitting in front of hundreds of people, even asking God, what do you want me to teach? (laughs) And he used it, my friends, for good that I could not foresee. And that's what's happening this morning. God is working in your life. You do not see it. Maybe. Maybe you do. But I can tell you this. God is infinitely good. And whatever he's doing in your life and mind, he's doing for his glory and our good. Do you believe that to be true? If you do, you will be tested. (laughs) And you will also be proven if you believe that to be true. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for our time together. Thanks for this wonderful opportunity to be with our friends and our brothers and sisters here at Reverence, where we are feeling at home, where we are feeling like uh, this is our family, extended family. And for those who have come who are bearing great burden, facing adversity, will you place upon them this assurance of your spirit that you are in control, that you're ruling and reigning over their lives in ways they can't even see, that you have a good purpose for their life, that you have a plan for their life that is good, but it might include adversity. Lord, may we be captivated, may we be motivated in life to live out your good purposes, even if it includes difficult things. May these be opportunities to glorify you and to be able to tell others about how great you are. Bless your people today, we pray in Jesus' name, for his glory and for his eternal reputation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.